You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of sight. A dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. Tonight we take a voyage on a very special ship, but as you would expect, this is no ordinary journey, because the ticket you hold in your hand isn't just for one trip, but two. Both take place on a ship with the same name, and both take place at the same time, but some of the stops along the way are just that little bit different. But fear not, because our captain on both of these voyages is well known to us here, in the fifth dimension. And he is, of course, Charles Beaumont. Tonight we set sail on parallel versions of the ship, the Lady Anne. One from Charles Beaumont's short story, Song for a Lady, and the other from the Twilight Zone episode that we'll be discussing tonight. But please be warned, if you haven't read Song for a Lady, there are spoilers in the waters ahead. So if you want to bring some reading material for your voyage, why not check out Charles Beaumont's book, Perchance to Dream, to familiarize yourself with it first. So if you have your ticket in your hand and you're ready to depart, let's meet Alan and Eileen Ransom as they buy theirs. Uh, could I see a list of the boats that are running? As you wish. Alan, you promised. I know I promised. It really is very important. Now, we agreed on that, right? I'm afraid these are the only passenger-carrying vessels leaving for England in the next 30 days. The Mintral is a freighter, but I understand the accommodations are quite adequate. Oh, uh, excuse me. Uh, what about this one? The Lady Anne? Oh, I don't think so. Why not? Alan and Eileen are clearly a couple in trouble, and their slow voyage on the Lady Anne is a last-ditch effort by Eileen to salvage their marriage. But let's slip over to the other dimension to find out how their counterparts are getting on. The travel agent had warned us that it was an old ship. Very old, very tired, and slow. In fact, said Mr. Spieto, who had been everywhere and knew all about travel, there's nothing slower afloat. Thirteen days to La Havre, fourteen to Southampton, provided there are favourable winds, of course. No, I doubt that we'll spend our honeymoon on her. Besides, this will be her last crossing. They're going to scrap the old relic in a month. And I think that's the reason we picked the Lady Anne for our first trip abroad. There was something appealing about taking part on a ship's last voyage. Something Eileen said, poignant and special. Or maybe it was simply the agent's smirk. He might have been able to talk us out of it otherwise, but he had to smirk. The veteran of Kathmandu and the innocent untravelled Iowans 
and that got us mad. Anyway, we made two first-class reservations, got married, and caught a plane for New York. What we saw at the dock surprised us. Spieto's horrified description of the ship had led us to expect something between a kayak and the Flying Dutchman, whereas at first glance, the Lady Anne seemed to be a perfectly ordinary ocean liner. Not that either of us had actually ever seen an ocean liner, except in films, but we decided what one should look like, and this looked like one. A tall giant of a vessel it was, with a bright orange hull and two regal smokestacks, and a feeling of lightness, of grace, almost, despite the 20,000 tons. Then we got closer, and the Lady Anne turned into one of those well-dressed women who look so fine a block away, and then disintegrate as you approach them. So the journeys might be slightly different, but let's see if the destination is the same when we take a passage on the Lady Anne. Portrait of a honeymoon couple getting ready for a journey, with a difference. These newlyweds have been married for six years, and they're not taking this honeymoon to start their life, but rather to save it, or so Eileen Ransom thinks. She doesn't know why she insisted on a ship for this voyage, except that it'd give them some time. And she'd never been on one before, certainly never one like the Lady Anne. The tickets read New York to Southampton, but this old liner is going somewhere else. Its destination, the Twilight Zone. First broadcast on May 9th, 1963, written by Charles Beaumont and directed by Lamont Johnson. So this one is a Charles Beaumont episode, the first that we've seen since the new exhibit, and as we heard in that episode, Charles Beaumont had very little to do with the finished script because of his too busy schedule and his sadly declining health it was actually ghostwritten by jerry saul now i can't find anything to suggest that this was also a ghostwritten episode in fact of charles beaumont's remaining three episodes after this one living doll and queen of the nile were both ghostwritten by jerry saul and number 12 looks just like you was co-written by john tomlin so I do believe that this is actually the final episode that is purely written by Charles Beaumont, which would make sense considering it is an adaptation of his own story and it does stick fairly close to it. And Charles Beaumont's son Christopher mentioned in the Twilight Zone Companion that the inspiration for this was that the family went to Europe in 1957 and they went across on the Queen Elizabeth and he says there were a lot of old people aboard and my father got the idea aboard ship. So while in a sense it isn't Charles Beaumont's last episode, in another sense it is, so I think we'll come back to this later on. In the last episode we waved goodbye to one of the Twilight Zone's landmark directors Buzz Kulik and tonight we're doing the same when Lamont Johnson takes his final voyage into the Twilight Zone. And he goes with a pretty good batting average for his episodes because he directed The Shelter, Five Characters in Search of an Exit, Nothing in the Dark, One More Paul Bearer, Kick the Can, Four O'Clock, Hocus Pocus and Frisbee, 
and now Passage on the Lady Anne, so not a bad batting average at all. And as we did with Buzz Kulik, let's examine where he went from here. Well, his career wasn't actually a million miles away from Buzz Kulik's. Lamont Johnson, the television director, carried on directing episodes of television. And like Kulik, he then went on to direct several television movies and the occasional theatrical one too. And he carried on working until the year 2000 and, rather fittingly, his last directing credit is for an episode of the J.J. Abrams created show Felicity called Help for the Lovelorn. Now I have mentioned this before, probably in the episode where we talked about five characters in search of an exit because in this episode of Felicity it is made in the style of a Twilight Zone episode and borrows heavily from five characters in search of an exit. Tomorrow on the WB Sunday night, a television event like you've never seen. What's this? Help for the lovelorn. An encounter Felicity will not forget. I'm telling you, weird things happen there. You don't understand what's happening to you, do you? From one of the directors of television's legendary Twilight Zone. How do you know where truth ends and fantasy begins? A special presentation of Felicity. So I think there is a nice poetry to Lamont Johnson's final Twilight Zone being all about a final voyage. But then in his career, he has that wonderful swan song too, with that episode of Felicity. So let's all meet in the bar of the Lady Anne tonight and raise our glasses to Lamont Johnson and thank him for his service in the Twilight Zone. In our pre credit sequence, we were introduced to Spieto, the travel agent, and you'll notice that he was played by Don Kiefer, who was so memorable in the episode It's a Good Life, where he played Dan Hollis, and he'll return again in From Agnes with Love. But he's not the only returning Twilight Zone alumni here. In fact, this episode is fairly packed with Twilight Zone stars and supporting players. Of course, we have Gladys Cooper, who plays Millie McKenzie, and she was in Nothing in the Dark and will return for Nightcore. Cecil Kellaway, who plays Burgess, was in Elegy. Cyril Delavanti, the rather distinctive-looking older British officer, was in A Penny for Your Thoughts, The Silence, and The Piano in the House. Jack Rain, who plays one of the other officers, will return in Spare of the Moment, and Lee Phillips, who plays Alan Ransom, will return in Queen of the Nile, and it wouldn't surprise me if there was one or two others who were lurking in the background too. So quite the lineup of Twilight Zone alumni in this one, which I think was quite nice to see. So when our television versions of Alan and Eileen get to the dockside to catch their boat, we are treated to some beautiful atmospheric shots of the Lady Anne, surrounded with darkness and mist. But what we notice about the Lady Anne is that it isn't a luxury liner. In fact, the ship looks quite small and more like a cargo ship than anything. From the descriptions, we'd expect it to cross between a kayak and the Flying Dutchman, right? You two seeing somebody off? No, we're passengers. What's that? What? What What you say? We're passengers. Oh, I hardly think so. I don't think that. This is, this is, this is the Lady Anne. 
There must be a mistake. Toby, please, I haven't kept you waiting long enough to raise your temper. Come along. Be quiet, Millie. You look at your tickets and you find there's been an error. I repeat, this is the lady Anne. And I repeat, we're passengers. Let me have a look at your tickets. Show me your tickets. Why should I do that? I beg your pardon. I'm sorry. Call it curiosity. Please, please, please. Let me have a look at them. Oh, all right. Thank you. Mr. and Mrs. Allen, Ransom, is that what it says? New York, Southampton, two, one way. Toby, Toby, you're not going to read the small print. These seem to be in order, Millie. So something that Alan and Eileen and we, the audience, notice quite quickly on the television version is that all of the other guests on the Lady Anne appear to be of a certain age. And our literary versions of Alan and Eileen notice that too. When we took a stroll out on deck, we noticed a surprisingly large number of elderly people standing at the rail. But we were excited, and somehow this didn't register. We waved at strangers on the dock, watched the passengers still coming aboard, and began to feel the magic. Then I saw the old red-headed gentleman tottering towards us, still glaring and blinking, in a way he looked like the late C. Aubrey Smith, only older and thinner, just as straight though, and just as bushy in the eyebrows. See here, he said, pointing at me with his cane. You aren't really serious about this, are you? About what? I said. Travelling on the Lady Anne. That is, hate to sound cliquish and all, but we're serious, Eileen said carefully. Dear me. The old man clucked his tongue. Americans too. British ship, you know. Sort of reunion and... He motioned toward another man in tweeds. Burgess, over here. The man, if anything older than our friend, caned his way across the wooden planks. Burgess, these are the ones I mean. They've tickets. No, 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 said the old man with the cane. Whole thing obviously a ghastly blunder. Calm yourself, Mackenzie. We've time yet. Now then. He gave us a crafty, crooked smile. No doubt you young people aren't aware this is a rather, how shall I put it, private sort of cruise, you see. Very tight. Dear me, yes. Unquestionably a slip-up. On the part of... Look, I said, I'm getting tired of this routine. There hasn't been any slip-up or anything else. This is our ship, and by God, we're sailing to Europe on it. Here, that, said Burgess, is bad news indeed. So having this older cast means that they have to obviously cast older actors, and the ones they chose is a big part of the joy of this episode for me. And the director Lamont Johnson says to Mark Zickri in The Twilight Zone Companion, it was a joy to reunite with these great old characters and character actors. That was the chief attraction to do it. I loved hearing their anecdotes. Wilfred Hyde Smith and Gladys Cooper would sit around and gossip maliciously with enormous relish about people alive and dead. 
and some particularly scandalous things that was happening currently in England or in the British colonies would send them into absolute flushes of youth. Their eyes would glow and their skin would take on a ruddy tone. They would just come alive with gossip. Now I don't like to do too many bios in an episode because they can end up just overshadowing the whole show, but I think about two or three is the sweet spot. But with a cast like this, the hard part is knowing who to leave out. But we certainly can't leave out Wilfred Hyde White, who plays Toby McKenzie. Having been born in 1903, Wilfred Hyde White would have been 60 years old at the time of this episode, and he was born in Burton-on-the-Water in Gloucestershire, England, and trained at the Marlborough College and the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts. He made his stage debut in 1922, and by the mid-twenties was doing very well as a stage actor. But he made his film debut in 1934, and for the next three decades was a hard-working actor in the British film industry when there still was one, sometimes doing as many as five films a year. But it's probably for his work as an older man that he will be most remembered, because judging by his resume, he hopped over the pond to the US at some point in the early 1960s, which gave him opportunities like this one, and then a couple of years later, perhaps his most recognisable role as Colonel Hugh Pickering in My Fair Lady, which also featured his co-star here, Gladys Cooper. Now don't get me wrong, in his pre-US days he was a very recognisable face on the British film circuit, when the British film industry still meant something. But unless you're an aficionado of film at that time and place, a lot of the films he was involved in won't mean a great deal to us now or have the name recognition of something like My Fair Lady. But when he went stateside, he was now in things like the television series Peyton Place, and even action shows like Mission Impossible, Battlestar Galactica, and Buck Rogers in the 25th century. So, Wilfred could play serious, no problem, but I think his stock in trade and the thing that he was probably most hired for in this era was his persona as the affable older English gentleman, the exact thing he was doing here in the Twilight Zone and would then do a couple of years later in My Fair Lady. But also I think he often played a bit older than his actual years because of how he looked and how he spoke and how he was able to project his performance. And his final acting credit was in 1983, and by that point, he boasted a 50-year screen acting career. So far from being an elderly gent nearing the end as he is here, he lived to the age of 87 and passed away in Los Angeles in 1991. So I like what he does here because, like I said, this is his stock in trade, the well-spoken English gent who maybe isn't as snooty as his accent might suggest, but he's actually quite a warm-hearted man. Can I have another drink, please? You're supposed to sip those things, not guzzle them down. I'll tell you something. I am so tired of begging for a little bit of your time. 
You're not interested in me anyway. You are interested in success. You have to fight to get to the top, and then you have to fight to stay there, and you just fight, fight, fight. Stop making a scene. Why? Does it take your mind off mergers and board meetings? No, it takes my mind off the fact that I was supposed to be taking a trip and having a good time. Oh, come on, Alan. You took me on this trip because I asked to be taken, that's all. Otherwise, you would have gone alone. Now, isn't that right? Now, I want you to admit that. Isn't that right? Isn't that the I truth? I cannot talk to you when you act like this. I cannot talk to you. As we learned at the beginning of this show, our literary couple are a pair of newlyweds taken in by the rustic charm of the Lady Anne. But on television, they appear to be at the other end of their relationship, a time when the honeymoon period is well and truly over and the magic is gone. And we hear this most of all from Alan, who doesn't hesitate to be quite cruel to Eileen whenever the opportunity arises. So why the change? Why the change from the happy newlyweds to the couple who are on the brink of breakup? Well, I can't find it documented anywhere why it was changed, but I think we can probably make a good guess as to why. Quite simply, it just adds some drama. The gradual unfolding of the mystery of the Lady Anne was fine in literature, but it probably did need some more meat on the bones when it came to television. And it also makes sense from a story point of view, because the Lady Anne is supposed to be a magical ship. Not so much that there are genuine magical forces at work, but through the shared experiences of those who have sailed on it, there is a commonality of experience that makes it a special place. So if these people can recapture their love anywhere, then it should be on the Lady Anne. Eileen looked at Mackenzie and said in an even voice, I thought you told us that it was an old rust bucket. Not it, she. Burgess blushed. Should both have been struck down by lightning, he said. Greatest lie ever uttered. Mrs. Ransom, mark this. The Lady Anne was and is now the finest ship that ever crossed the sea. Queen of the fleet she was. And quite unusual, put in Mackenzie. Only one of her kind. I believe, you see, she specialised in honeymooners. That was her freight then. Young people in love. Aye. That's what makes your presence so... What shall I say? Ironic, eh? Not that it isn't. Not ironic. Sally, what is the damned word I'm looking for? Sweet, said his wife, smiling. No, no, anyway, that was it. A regular floating wedding suite, you might say. Young married couples, that's all you'd ever see on her. Full of juice and the moon in their eyes. Dear me, it was funny, though. All those children trying to act grown up and worldly trying to act married, and used to it, you see, and every one of them as nervous as a mouse. Remember, Burgess? I do, of course. Now that only lasted for a few days, Mackenzie. The Lady Anne gave him time to know each other. The old man laughed. She was a wise ship. She understood such things. Mrs. Mackenzie lowered her eyes, but not, I thought, out of embarrassment. At any rate, she said, although it was needless to say, unofficial, 
That did seem to be the policy of the owners then. Everything was arranged for young people. For anyone else, I imagine, the ship must have been a bit on the absurd side. Love has its own particular point of view, you know. It sees everything larger than life. Nothing is too ornate for it, or too fancy, or too dramatic. If it is a good love, it demands the theatrical, and then transfigures it, turns the grotesque into lovely, as a child does. The old woman raised her eyes. Where a shipping line ever found that particular vision, I shall never know, but they made the Lady Anne into an enchanted gondola, and took that moment of happiness and pure sweet pain that all lovers have, and made the moment live for two really unspeakably pleasant weeks. But why did you choose the Lady Anne? Well, uh, I guess it was time, really, you know, more time to, to be alone together, and uh, I don't know, it just seemed special. Oh, my dear, she is special but much more special than you and your husband could ever imagine. Well, for one thing, Toby and I sailed on her when we got married. That was um, 52 years ago. 53, as a matter of fact. Oh, you should have seen her then. Splendid specimen she was. The ship, I mean, not a home. Oh, Toby, really. Well, I thought you told me that it was an old rust bucket. Not it, dear. She, she, she. Did I say that? I should have been struck by lightning for telling such a fearful lie. Listen to me. Do you know the Lady Anne was the fairest boat that ever crossed the seas? Queen of the fleet she was. Is, old boy. Is. No other ship can touch her. I beg your pardon. Quite right. Is, yes, yes, yes. Oh, this is old Ian Burgess. You haven't really met him properly. Mrs. Ransom. How do you do? So even though the relationships of our two parallel couples are quite different, the story beats are pretty much the same. Even whole stretches of dialogue are lifted wholesale from the literary version, but one of the main differences is this scene. I don't know what I'm doing on this crazy boat. Really, I think this is ridiculous. Eileen? Where are you, Eileen? Eileen, who is tired of Alan's remarks, goes missing on the ship, causing Alan to frantically try to find her. So while Alan goes looking for her, let's meet the people who played our unhappy couple. Alan Ransom is played by Lee Phillips, and he wasn't an actor that I'd seen before to the best of my recollection, and perhaps part of the reason for that is that his credits behind the camera outnumber his credits in front of it. There isn't a huge amount of information out there about him, but he was born in 1927 in New York City and had his start on Broadway. And some of his highlights on screen include a part in the movie version of Peyton Place and also the Paddy Chayefsky film Middle of the Night. But as time went on, acting gave way to directing, and while he worked on screen up until 1975 with roles in shows like The Outer Limits, the Fugitive, and The Waltons, he also created his own TV show in a kind of Charlie's Angels mold called The American Girls. And the IMDb synopsis goes like this. 
Rebecca and Amy are a pair of sexy young television reporters working for a respected 60 Minutes Like News magazine. Receiving their story assignments from New York producer Francis Casey, the girls travel across the country in their specially equipped van, solving crimes, reporting the news, and getting involved in the lives of others. to Priscilla Barnes and Deborah Klinger, those freewheeling American girls, two investigative reporters for a TV news magazine, traveling the country covering stories and always causing headaches for their producer. There's Danger, Jeopardy, Adventure, The American Girls, starting this fall, television never looked so good. Turn us on and we'll turn you on. So those were the days where no matter what job you did, if you were on television, you ended up solving crimes as well. And while the American Girls didn't last more than a season, Lee Phillips kept on working as a director until 1995, and he passed away four years later at the age of 72 in 1999. But apparently, he almost didn't star in this episode of The Twilight Zone. James Coburn was originally asked to play the role, but a scheduling conflict stopped him from taking it. So how is he in this? Well... I only have this to go on, so if there is a great Lee Phillips performance out there, then I take that on board. But to me, I think he's good. He's particularly good when he's, you know, the the more grumpy Alan, who's always looking like he doesn't want to be there. But what I would say about him is the same thing I said about Robert Sterling, who starred in Printer's Devil. A good actor, solid and dependable. But he was just a suited up, clean cut, generally handsome guy with dark side parted hair at a time when every other actor was pretty much a clean cut, generally handsome guy with side parted hair. There's nothing that really makes him stand out from the crowd for me. But that said, he's perfectly fine in this and I think he's very convincing as the husband who's lost interest in his wife and their struggles seem pretty genuine. Now his long-suffering wife, Eileen Ransom, is played by Joyce Van Patten and she was born in 1934 and like her screen husband she was also born in New York City and apparently even before she was one year old she was auditioning for modelling parts and by the age of six working on Broadway in the show Popsy. And with 158 credits to her name, Joyce Van Patten is truly one of our hard-working actors of the day and many days to come because when she started working she didn't stop she made her screen debut at 12 years old in 1946 and as she got older she worked steadily through the 50s and 60s but as she got older she made the decision not to get labeled as just a good-looking actress so dressed down to de-emphasize her looks and this allowed her to get more interesting parts so I think even if you didn't know her by name, you'll have probably seen something with Joyce Van Patten in it. Back in the day, she was in shows like The Untouchables, Gunsmoke and The Outer Limits. Then into the 70s and 80s, she was in movies like The Bad News Bears and television shows like Columbo. But she just hasn't stopped since and the 2000s sort of have supporting roles in the movie Marley and Me and the television show Boardwalk Empire. So with her last role being in 2019, I do hope that this is not the last we've seen of her. 
And I do think she's good in this, you know, you can really see how wounded she gets by every barbed comment that is thrown at her by her husband. And in unlocking the door to a television classic, she says, Lamont Johnson, the director, had been an actor before changing professions. I've always thought that working with a director-actor was very helpful. A sort of shorthand exists for me. A relaxation. Lee Phillips was a good friend of mine and his wife was one of my dearest friends. Monty was a real gentleman. However, the greatest gift was that amazing group of great character actors they had put together. Gladys Cooper was so real and funny, and she and Wilfred Hyde White were full of fun and tons of gossip. I could not wait to get to work and see those dynamos, the energy, the wit. It was amazing. They had it in for Cecil Kellaway and talked behind his back, giggling like school kids. So eventually, racked with worry, Alan goes back to his cabin and thankfully Eileen is there. And this seems to be the thing that fixes their relationship. Alan doesn't appreciate Eileen until he thinks that he's lost her. Now as I said, this is all a creation for the television version and it seems to be here to add a bit of movement, a bit of drama to the middle of the episode to stop it just being people sitting around and talking. And when Alan finds Eileen, he realises what he's almost lost and everything is right again. And I think while it's no bad thing to inject a bit of action into the middle of the episode, I find it does go against the point for me. If the Lady Anne has this aura of magic about her, then perhaps it would have been more fitting for the couple to be seduced by their surroundings and rediscover their love for each other rather than it to happen in this quite simplistic way. But then again, on the other hand, that would make a long talky episode even longer and talkier. So it was a judgement call and they made it, but maybe I prefer the more subtle moments of magic that the couple in the literary version would experience. We walked to the bar and Burgess introduced me around. Van Vylen, this is Ransom. He's American, but he's all right. Nothing to worry about. Sanders shake hands with young Ransom. He and his wife are on their honeymoon, you know. Pick the Lady Anne. No, no, I tell you, it's all been straightened out. Fairman, here now. Wake up. This is... The warmth of these men suddenly filled me. And after a while, it seemed as though magically... I wasn't 32 at all, but 72, with all the wisdom of those years. The man called Sanders insisted upon buying a round and raised his glass. To the finest, loveliest, happiest ship that ever was, he said, and we drank solemnly. So what is going on here? What is going on on this ship? And what is the story that has been bubbling under the surface all the way through? Why is it such an inconvenience to have this young couple on the Lady Anne? Well, I've watched enough movies with old British people in them that my mind immediately goes to some kind of satanic death cult and Alan and Eileen are going to end up being sacrificed to whatever gods they worship. But then I remember that this isn't the Wicker Man, it's the Twilight Zone. 
And to be honest, these old people seem far too nice to be those British kind of people, even if Millie Mackenzie does drop a bit of a bombshell earlier on. Now, what's all settled? What my husband is trying to say is that you won't have to die after all. And then while Eileen is missing, Toby Mackenzie doesn't help matters by sidling over to Alan on the deck and saying this. Not turned up yet. In that case, why not? Why not let's go and have a drink, eh? Come along, my boy. But sinister as this may seem, the explanation to what's really going on is quite different, but we'll talk about that in a moment. As we've journeyed through the Twilight Zone together over the years, we've come across more episodes than I thought we would, where there is no element of the unexplained. As we know, even the first episode of the show, Where Is Everybody, didn't have that unexplained element to it. Some episodes don't actually ask us to believe in an element of the unexplained, but just ask us to believe in an element of science fiction, which is something quite different. And when you put it that way, that list of episodes with no unexplained elements at all is pretty long. The Lonely, Third from the Sun, I Shot an Arrow into the Air, Elegy, People Are Like All Over, The Little People, the list goes on and on. Even landmark shows like Time Enough at Last and The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street, there are no elements of the unexplained here. One just asks you to accept that a nuclear bomb has gone off, the other asks you to believe in the existence of aliens. But there's no Twilight Zone magic. The shorter list is the one with the episodes that don't have a magical element of the unexplained but also they don't ask you to believe in an element of science fiction. It is all completely real world, and while it's unlikely to happen, it could happen. The episode The Silence is always held up as an example of that, but Passage on the Lady Anne is on that list too. So with its cast of British thespians in this ornate setting, it actually feels more like some old movie from the 1940s that you discover halfway through when you switch over to a classic movie channel on a Sunday afternoon than an episode of The Twilight Zone. And for this reason, if someone says that they can take it or leave it, I can kind of understand that. It's very talky and there's little in the way of tension. I guess the mileage of the mystery, whether it fooled you or not into thinking something sinister was going on is going to be different for everyone, but by the time it gets there, I think we understand what's going to happen eventually. But the episode also has to create the impression that the Lady Anne is actually quite a special place. A magical place. Not literally magic, but there is something special about it that makes it the place where all of these people's love was given a place to flourish. In such a way as it would become special to them for the rest of their lives. And I think the book version does that a little bit better and I wish the television version had shown that a little more rather than just telling us about it. And then we would understand even more why these people are not only on the Lady Anne for its final voyage, but have decided that they'll be going down with the ship. So while I wouldn't necessarily call it a top tier episode, I am still quite charmed by Passage on the Lady Anne. I enjoy the cast, 
I enjoy the location, I enjoy the idea of it, and I enjoy the romance of it, even if I think there are things that could have been done better. This old beat-up ship that has been so important to so many people that they decide not to let it rust away or be broken apart. They put on their best suits and dresses and decide to join her at her ultimate destination. Passage on the Lady Anne is an ode to knowing that at some point the world you're living in will begin to feel like it's not really made for you anymore. As the character of Burgess says in the episode, when 14 days from New York to London is too slow for you, we have to wonder why we've become so focused on the destination that we can't just sit back and enjoy the journey. They're going to condemn the Lady Anne because she represents a way of life, the old way. She has grace, manners, tradition. And now they're going to scrap her. Oh, I see. Somebody turn him off. Nothing is sacred anymore. The beasts are at the gates, but we're too old to fight them. So we have to stand around like a lot of pathetic statues with our medals tarnished and our swords broken, while the vandals turn our castles into sideshows and stick up nasty little advertisements for soap all along the roadside. And now they're going to scrap the Lady Anne. But I warn you, how are we going to stop them from scrapping the whole world? So when the world isn't really made for you anymore, you can go kicking and screaming, or you can wish the people who it is made for well on their journey and enjoy the final moments of yours, knowing that the Lady Anne has worked its magic one last time. We like you people. We thought you liked us. They do. Lower away! But here at the end of our cruise, we have to pay one last visit to that other dimension to see how their voyage ends. And again, beware because there are spoilers in these waters. We return to the boat station where almost everyone on the ship had gathered. Lower away, cried the captain, and a useless looking white lifeboat was cranked over the side. Now then, if you will please climb down the ladder. For God's sake, I said, this, the ladder, Mr. Ransom, and do be careful. We clambered down into the lifeboat, which was rocking gently, and watched them raise the rope. We could see the Mackenzies, the Burgesses, Van Valmen, Sanders, and Captain Prothero standing by the rail waving. They had never looked so pleasant, so happy. Don't worry, one of them called. You'll be picked up in no time at all. Plenty of water and food there, and a light. You're sure you have all your luggage? I heard the ship's engines start up again, and I yelled some idiotic things. But then the Lady Anne began to pull away from us. The old people at the rail standing very close to one another waved and smiled and called, Goodbye, 
Goodbye. Come back, I screamed, feeling somehow that none of this was actually happening. Damn it, come back here. Then Eileen touched my shoulder, and we sat there listening to the fading voices and watching the immense black hole drift away into the night. It became suddenly very quiet and very still, only the sound of water slapping against the lifeboat. We waited. Eileen's eyes were wide. She was staring into the darkness, her hand locked tightly into mine. Shh, she said. We sat there for another few minutes, quietly rocking, then there was a sound. Soft at first, hollow, but growing. Alan! The explosion thundered loose in a swift, rushing fury, and the water began to churn beneath us. Then, as suddenly, it was quiet again. In the distance I could see the ship burning. I could feel the heat of it. Only the stern was afire though. All the rest of it seemed untouched. And I was certain, oddly certain, that no one had been harmed by the blast. Eileen and I held each other and watched as, slowly, as gracefully and purposefully, the Lady Anne listed on her side. For an eternity, she lay poised. Then the dark mass of air slipped with incredible speed down beneath the waves, sliding, sinking into the water as quickly and smoothly as a giant needle into velvet. It could not have taken more than 15 minutes. Then the sea was as calm and empty as it ever was before there were such things as ships and men. We waited for another hour in the lifeboat and I asked Eileen if she felt cold, but she said no. There was a wind across the ocean, but my wife said, that she had never felt so warm before. When I first watched the passage on the Lady Anne, I found the ending a little bit sudden, because in my mind I think I was expecting the ending that we just heard. But here's the beautiful thing about the ending that we did get on television. I think in our minds we know that the Lady Anne in the television version probably does have the same fate as its literary counterpart and all of the people on board would go down in the blaze of glory with the ship. But by not showing it to us and telling us that the ship sailed into the twilight zone, it allows us the thought that this wasn't a final cruise after all. And like the airplane in the Odyssey of Flight 33, the Lady Anne passed on from reality into myth. And maybe if you happen to find yourself on the deck of a boat, looking out across the waves, you'll hear the gentle revelry of the aged passengers of the Lady Anne, aging no longer on its final but never-ending voyage. And it's perhaps for that reason that this being Charles Beaumont's truly 
final Twilight Zone is a little bittersweet, but also quite poignant. And perhaps it's no bad thing to wave off Charles Beaumont standing on the deck of a ship on a never-ending voyage into the Twilight Zone. The Lady Anne never reached port. After they were picked up by a cutter a few hours later, as Captain Prothero had promised, the Ransom searched the newspapers for news, but there wasn't any news. The Lady Anne, with all her crew and all her passengers, vanished without a trace. But the Ransoms knew what had happened. They knew that the ship had sailed off to a better port, a place called the Twilight Zone. So there we have it, Passage on the Lady Anne, the penultimate episode of season four. Now, I will get into shortly about how you can contribute to the end of season show. So, so stay tuned for that. But we have a lot of other business to talk about in this episode before we are done. So first of all, what do our friends over in the After Hours Club think of Passage on the Lady Anne? Well, it seems to be a very middle-of-the-road response, and that's kind of what I expected. So, from the people who voted, 13% said it was top-tier, 71% said it was mid-tier, and 16% said it was bottom-tier. So, let's go through some of the comments. Our friend Joseph Lucino said, The original music and set design is really interesting in this episode. Overall, a mid-tier episode for me as it feels a little long overall and sometimes forgettable. Our friend Brian Kirk, longtime friend of the show, says the senior cast of this episode are wonderful and the mystery about the true purpose of the voyage is intriguing. What ultimately mars this episode and keeps it from being top tier is the portrayal of the young couple who I found irritating and mostly unlikable as protagonists. Our friend Brian Turner, great supporter of the show, says, As a kid or young adult, I would find this episode boring. As a middle-aged man with some life experience under my belt, it now makes me smile. It reminds me how we often let the daily hustle and bustle derail us from what's truly important in our lives. Brian Griffin says, See these nautical not-so-newlyweds make a plan for passage on the Lady Anne. While Captain Lancer is not on board, the other passengers may or may not welcome the honeymoon team to her final boarding call. And fellow podcaster and frequent collaborator Zach Moore gives a one-word review that simply says, boring. Okay, <laughs> okay, so that's what our friends over at the After Hours Club think. So a few items to get through, and the first is I hope you've all heard by now that there will be a Sailing Fest 2021 this year in Binghamton, New York, Rod Sailing's hometown, and it's going to be from Friday the 15th of October to Sunday the 17th, and the guest of honour this year is going to be Mark Scott Zickry himself, the author of The Twilight Zone Companion, and also it's going to be free to attend the event. Now I had hoped that some possibility might present itself for me to be able to go to Sailing Fest this year, but unfortunately, while people from the US can come to England depending on certain things, the COVID tests and so on, unfortunately it doesn't work the other way. The travel ban is still in place on the US side, so I'm not allowed to travel there. 
And unfortunately, the knock-on effect of that, that level of uncertainty is that even if the travel ban was lifted tomorrow, it's just too late. It would have been something that I would have needed to have planned by now to make all the necessary arrangements. So, so I'm afraid that I've just had to accept that and have my fingers crossed that it's something that I can do next year. But there is something very important happening at Sailing Fest in 2021, and that is the Rod Sailing Memorial Foundation are doing a Kickstarter campaign to raise money for a statue of Rod Sailing to be built in Recreation Park, Binghamton, the site where the famous carousel is. Now there are various perks on offer and one of these is something that we as friends of the Twilight Zone podcast can all get behind and maybe unite together to become a part of because one of the perks is that you can have a brick that forms part of I believe it's the statue's base or around the statue on the floor maybe something along those lines but you can have a dedication written into it so for example it could be you know to Rod Sailing, thanks for everything from the Friends of the Twilight Zone podcast, you know, something along those lines. Now, I'm sure a perk like that doesn't come cheap and it might be something that not all of us can afford on our own. So here's what I'm thinking. If you're a member of the After Hours Club over on Patreon, you are already a part of what I have planned and you don't need to do a thing. Your contribution to the Patreon at the end of September, along with everyone else's, will be collected together and donated to that Kickstarter campaign, and hopefully we can get that brick dedication from all of us. So 100% of my Patreon income from September will go to the Rod Sailing Memorial Foundation to go towards that statue, and if there's enough money, then hopefully we can get that brick dedication from all of us. And everyone who contributes as part of their Patreon, I will put a page on the website with a list of all the contributors and hopefully one day a picture of that brick in situ as well. So Patreon members, you don't need to do anything, you're already a part of it. But if you're not a member of the After Hours Club and want to contribute to that joint effort and be a part of that, special dedicated brick for the statue then if you join in the month of september your contribution will go to fund that brick from all of us so what i will do i will collect all that money together at the end of september and when the kickstarter goes live in the middle of october then i will make our contribution so even if you join in september for just one month you know i'm fine with that and you can enjoy the content while you're there We'll see how it goes. I'm not promising anything, but maybe I could put together some form of certificate or something that, you know, marks this joint effort by all of us. But like I said, don't quote me on that, but it's something that I would certainly look into. Now, if you don't really want to be part of that brick fund, you know, it's not something that you, you're really bothered about, then just donate directly to the Kickstarter because then your contribution will get exactly where it needs to go and you'll cut out the middleman. But if you want to be part of that special dedicated brick from all of us, then sign up to patreon.com slash twilightzonepodcast in the month of September, and you will be a part of it. But no matter what you do, keep up with Sailing Fest, 
and the Kickstarter campaign over at rodsailing.com, the home of the Rod Sailing Memorial Foundation. So that's the first piece of news. The second one is, this is the penultimate episode of season four. In true Twilight Zone podcast uh, tradition, it took longer than I hoped, but I think uh, it was not quite last year, the year that everyone thought it would be. I think a combination of things, you know, the COVID situation calming down a bit over here at least, and the episodes of the Twilight Zone itself getting back to the short length in season five, I think I'm going to be able to put these out a bit more regularly. So we do have one more episode of season four to go. So as long-time listeners will know, we usually like to wrap up these seasons with some interaction from you, the friends of the show, in the form of audio clips that I edit together into a special end-of-season show. Now, last time round, I put together a list of questions that you could answer if you wanted to. But this year, I'm going to leave it pretty much up to you what you want to say. You know, do you want to talk about one particular episode of season four? Maybe your favorite one. Do you want to talk about your top five episodes? Do you want to talk about the season as a whole? Do you want to talk about a combination of all of these things? So please send your clips to Tom at thetwilightzonepodcast.com. Now, I won't put a time limit on it, but, you know, just keep it reasonable. It's unlikely that I can use a 20-minute clip because that's just a podcast in itself. But also, our regular statistician, Harold Clark, has offered to collate all of our Season 4 rankings so we can find out, you know, what we the collective friends of the Twilight Zone podcast think of the, you know, the top episodes of the season or the bottom episodes of the season. Now, I don't really want you to rank the whole season in audio form because because listening to 10 or however many people send something in, just listing off 18 episodes, it doesn't really make for great listening because they would tend to just all meld into one and it's just people reeling off episode names and it doesn't really have much meaning so if you want to send your audio clip on an email with your general comments about season four or whatever but also in that email put how you would rank the 18 episodes of season four then please do and i will forward those on to harold and he can collate the list and even if you don't want to send a clip then feel free to send your rankings to be included in the final tally so just send me an email with how you would rank the whole of season four in order of preference all 18 episodes so i will probably remind you of this in the next episode as well but hopefully that's clear i know i've given you a lot of information uh, but let's go on to meet our new members over at the after hours club and i might have a bit of crossover here because it's been a while since i've done one of the main show episodes so Tess Warren, thank you for being a member of the After Hours Club. I hope you're finding it comfortable. Stephen Peake, thank you for joining. And Stephen Thomas as well, thank you. Jeremy Kayler, thank you for joining the After Hours Club. And I hope you find the facilities to your liking. Tasha Johnson, please take a seat over in the Monument Room and enjoy the After Hours Club. And thank you for joining. And also Mark Clark, I hope you enjoy your time in the club and thank you and also itunes reviewers paddler s love butte j wilbur hatch and sierra hotel whiskey 
and also Wedge3k. Thank you for your kind iTunes reviews. I really appreciate it. So that's not all. I've got a little bit of feedback from our longtime friend, Zach Moore, who is trying to keep up his streak of sending feedback in for every episode of season four of The Twilight Zone. So take it away, Zach. Hey, Tom, listeners. Zach Moore here with my thoughts on On Late I Think of Cliffordville, The Incredible World of Horace Ford, and On Thursday We Leave for Home. Of Late I Think of Cliffordville is actually the first episode of The Twilight Zone that I ever saw. I have probably seen bits and pieces of other ones before this, but I distinctly remember it was one of these New Year's marathons. I was a kid, and the Sci-Fi Channel was showing all these episodes, and this is the first one I saw start to finish. And you're probably asking yourself, how did you become a lifelong <laughs> Twilight Zone fan if this is the first episode? Well, I think you know, when you're a kid, the twists at the end really blow your mind. You're like, oh, he was old the whole time, and oh, it's the guy from the, the janitor from the beginning is him now, and he's the janitor, and that kind of things really hook you, and that's kind of what the Twilight Zone is best known for in popular culture, I guess. So uh, to my young, impressionable mind, I was thought, oh, man, they switched it in the guy. And anyway, that's the best I can say for, for why I might have been hooked at that point. But, uh, you know, this episode's all right. Um, it's not one of the best, but it's far from one of the worst. It has some ideas that, as you talked about on the podcast, Tom, other episodes had done very similar tracks on it. Uh, you know, the whole time travel thing, going back to the past, uh, the loophole of him being old on the inside is a real plot hole. Because I mean, the, the episode says, he's like, I want to look just like I look, dot, 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 dot. But he doesn't say, I want to be young. So that makes sense, but it's a real weak reveal that, it's not till the the very end montage where he's going around looking for money and, and the last uh, the last bit there he's like oh I'm old oh like that hadn't been a problem for anything in the past up to that moment so that was a pretty weak um, last minute reveal there uh, but you know you gotta love Julie Newmar as the devil or Miss Devlin as she's called in this episode her performance brings a lot to it you know I mean it's it, I enjoy the writing of her character but. Uh, the way she phrases things and the way her tone changes, especially at the end, she's talking about, oh, where, where's the heart? And little things like that uh, really make her a, a memorable um, devil demon character because we, we see so many of them uh, over the course of the Twilight Zone. So she's fantastic. And, of course, she goes on to play uh, Catwoman uh, in the Batman TV show a few years after this. And then shout-out to John Anderson. He's one of my favorite uh, Twilight Zone recurring actors. And, and uh, we got one more episode with him coming up in Season 5. And uh, I, I first saw him in an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, actually, one of my favorite episodes. Uh, so anyway, uh, the, Albert Selmy was, was making a choice in that performance of, the, of that old man who talks like this. It, it's odd, you know. But again, seeing it first as a kid, I guess it might not have registered with me. Um, but I, I rarely, rarely revisited this episode. I think this is probably maybe the third time I've watched it ever. Like... Uh, <laughs> You know, watch it that first time ever for an episode of Todd's Zone for me, and then maybe once more before this. And you know, I might revisit it again sometime in the future. Like I said, it's not it's not bad per se, but it's it's not one of the best. And and the ending message is is interesting. Is it saying just like is this uh, is the janitor who became the tycoon? Is he going to go through a similar journey? Is it going to be the cycle 
right? Is it a nature versus nurture thing? I I, I don't know. I, I, there's some interesting things that, that are implied or being said about how they just switch places because it's not like the janitor is a nice tycoon. He is also a mean tycoon. <laughs> so that's just food for thought, I guess. More food for thought than the cool switcheroo twist that I, you know, captured my attention when I was a kid. So anyway, of late I think of Clifferville. Let's move on to the incredible world of Horace Ford. So this one, it's fine. I I know you didn't like it, Tom, in your review. Uh, the, the general consensus on this one is it's, it's one of the weaker Twilight Zones. Uh, Pat Hingle, much like you mentioned on the podcast, uh, he will always and forever be Commissioner Gordon uh, from the uh, Tim Burton, Joel Schumacher Batman films to me. He he was so underused as well. Like He has so few lines. I could probably recite them all to you. <laughs> right now like he gave us a signal and all just thanks for saving the day batman like that's that's all he was uh that's all he was and and it's unfortunate but anyway uh pat hingle his performance here i think he's doing what what the script calls for and you know that this episode could have gone in a couple of directions you know kind of like miniature with the guy with the weird home life and the mom who's hovering but that's not really what's going on there also kind of like uh arrested development a guy who's living in the past and loves toys and stuff like that i think is you know as fans of all of these franchises i think we could all relate to that on some level (laughs) if we like it or not but it doesn't go there and i think the weakest aspect of the episode is the fact that his past isn't as good as he remembered it but the trigger point of that is his friends weren't invited to his birthday party but there was no real reason why so the whole linchpin of all this is is confusing um I get, you know, the rose-colored glasses of the past. So that that could have been an angle as well, or living in denial, or even you're know, like a like an Uncle Rico character from Napoleon Dynamite, you know, always talking about the past. You know, kind of like that. You know, it's a different flavor of that character, but like the 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 high school football star who's always talking about the past because life has never been as good since then. Or so, so many approaches they could have taken a crack at this kind of concept and. And I don't know, it's just the revisiting the past, the cycle, I mean, it is repetitive, but you kind of have to set the tone of like, he keeps going there and it's the same things and then I identify something weird is going on. So I understand why he had to go there. I think it was three times. In a different scenario, right, thinking about other episodes of the Twilight Zone who have set this precedent, right, like 16 millimeter shrine or, you know, even, I guess even miniature, right? It could be the guy's life was not going well and then he goes back there and the kid brings back, the the, the kid who keeps finding his watch brings back a mickey mouse watch and he stays in a good past forever i know it sounds like the original story idea was like he would stay in the past as that kid but it was more of a you know i assume the same reveal of how his past wasn't as good and all that but escaping into his past what does that mean who knows right also uh what's uh the episode with um the guy and his mom young man's fancy i believe yeah kind of that whole idea so these again these ideas have been kind of done before and maybe i think that would have been more interesting than he went there. Nobody knows what happened. It's nice that he had happily ever after with his wife. The mom character, wow, like she is, you know, her whole rant about like, who's going to take care of me now? I'm like, man, mom, you are you are not a good character uh, when he gets laid off from his job. And I like how the wife, you know, sticks up for uh, for Horace Ford when the mom's going on her, going on her rant uh, about what has she ever done and that kind of thing. So it's weird family dynamics here in this episode, but also, uh, shout out to the boss who I had to look it up. And I'm like, the, the guy who plays his boss is very familiar. He was Henry Bemis's boss in Time Enough at Last. So he carved out a nice uh, role for himself on, on the Twilight Zone, that guy. But yeah, so this episode, it's, you know, it's fine. It's, um, I mean, Horace Ford is not the most lovable, quirky character. Kind of like, you know, that you have your Henry Bemis's out there and, 
you know, guys who are quirky but you enjoy their quirkiness to a point he he's he's annoying but i guess he's kind of supposed to be and that's the point and he, he does have a happy ending i guess he had to go all through go through all this to to remember that his past wasn't as good as he thought but but uh again this kind of stuff you know talking about you know last episode right late i think of quiverville this kind of stuff was done better right with the willoughby and walking distance and they're going down these same roads now it, it is interesting you know i didn't mention in the podcast that oh it's too similar to the walking distance we, we can't show these back and forth together but this is nothing like you know walking distance in, in that respect I, I there are much worse episodes this season alone than this one is it on the top of my list absolutely not he's probably low middle tier or at the very top of the bottom tier but not not to say it's awful right there are truly awful episodes this season and this is this is not one of them so and then of course we have on thursday we leave for home wow this episode was a revelation you know kind of coming at the end of the fourth season i'd only seen this episode once before much like um a lot of the four season episodes, as I've said before in some of this feedback, they're not, you know, they're not shown in the rotation as often in, in the in the sci-fi channel Twilight Zone Marathons where my fandom was forged. So I had never seen this one until just a few years ago. And uh and wow, you know, it, what an examination of power dynamics and personalities and and how you know good men can really turn bad. <laughs> you know, I mean Benteen is like this uh this great community leader and he's exactly what these people needed, but then when when it becomes obvious to him that, you know, he's not going to have the same role, you know, he, he can't deal with it. And, and he starts exerting himself in the micromanaging and picking all the wrong battles. And just, and he, like you mentioned in the podcast, you know, I, I can re- relate to this in the real world, seeing just how people operate, you know, as far as, you know, the, their, their roles and their goals and, and that kind of thing. Not, not so much the, the, the Messiah thing they were doing. They kind of, they kind of hit that pretty hard. Even, even that, I mean, what a mic drop moment at the end when the captain says, when you go back to the earth and you pray to God, his name won't be Ben Teen. I was like, wow, what a burn. Uh, but wow. I mean, just what a great episode. Cause it's such a slow burn to, to what happens, you know, it's a slow turn. And I feel like, you know, this episode really does benefit from the hour-long length because, you know, in, in a typical half-hour time slot episode, what what happens? Like, the ship lands, and they have, like, one or two arguments, and then they leave, and there's the ending. No, I mean, you need that, like, it, it's a tragedy, right? Because, like, the ship lands, and Binteen's excited, and everybody's excited, and he's been talking about how awesome Earth is. And then, you know, as he sees that, like, they're they're going to lose their community and his control, and, and you get some insight into how he sees everybody else's children and all that um that that's very insightful and that shows you that uh he uh but does it show you though like like was he always this this did he have this power trip the whole time right because he's it's it's, it makes you think right makes you think about this guy and and despite all the way the ways he acts and his 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 microaggressions and all this um not letting him play baseball and stuff like that like you still feel sorry for him at the end when the ship takes off he's like i want to go home and it's one of these tragic endings because like uh, like he's told like hey you're gonna die here we're never coming back so and and they do every effort to try to get him to come like this colonel character our first Aventina's is captain this whole time right he's not disrespectful to him or anything he he uh, pleads to him many times um but just Bentine has this power trip man and it's um it, it's crazy and and uh, and just just a good examination of the human condition right and that's what these greatest sci-fi things are all about so this is a fantastic episode and it's between this and the new exhibit as my two favorite episodes for season four. Uh, but uh, but this this is right up. This is definitely top tier Twilight Zone on Thursday we leave for home. So those are my thoughts on, on these last three episodes. Been catching up with the feedback. And uh, I know we have a couple left. So I'll, I'll be back uh, 
next time uh, with my thoughts on the final two episodes of season four. Hello, this is Jason from Northfield, Minnesota, offering my thoughts on the Lady Passage on the Lady Anne, um, or maybe the Twilight Zone version of the Love Boat. Soon we'll be making another run. Or I suppose it could be Death Boat or Heaven Boat. I, I don't really know, which I guess I'll get to <laughs> when, because I'm very confused uh, by the twist or twists and ending uh, of this episode. But uh, I guess I'll start with what I like about the episode. Um, I love all the hard-working uh, Twilight Zone actors and actresses of, of the day. Um, just a bunch of people who either are in episodes or will be uh, in episodes. Um, I actually think this would be a really fun uh, last episode of the series just because it feels like a Twilight Zone party and then it kind of goes off in the distance and leaves us leaves us in a little lifeboat in the world without Twilight Zone except that we've learned how to love I guess <laughs> or <laughs> I guess I don't know uh, I, I love uh, the uh, Joyce Van Patten who plays I think the character's name is Ellen, our main character. She's just fantastic. Uh, she's, she's bubbly and happy, but when she's serious, she's just deathly serious. Uh, I think she's a great actress. And, of course, I love Gladys Cooper. She is in my favorite episode, Nothing in the Dark. I adore her. Um, and I will gladly watch any of the Twilight Zone episodes. She's in even this one uh this was my second time seeing this episode i think maybe second or third time and uh i definitely enjoyed it a lot more knowing what i was getting into because i remember the first time i saw it i was like what is this still confusing to me but i did not like it at all and now uh i can appreciate it for the dialogue um i love the conversation during the little the little tea tea time and some of the some of the speeches, like uh, the end, the speech about, oh, you know, things are so rushed and and no one takes the time to do things anymore and this is the great boat. Like, uh, I love the, the dialogue in it and I can appreciate it. Uh, I can appreciate it for that and definitely for um, the, the acting. <laughs> um, what I don't like about it is something I probably just alluded to, which is I'm very confused by the ending. Uh, it feels like there's two twists or two things going on, and that's probably never really good. Um, in a Twilight Zone episode, I think we've talked about how it's best when they just focus on one thing. Uh, maybe, maybe it's not two. Maybe I'm you know, looking into it, um, a little too much, but like, where does she go when she disappears? When Ellen disappears, she's just, she's, she's gone and he can't find her. And like she, it did the twilight zone, doink, like disappear music. And then she was gone and he can't find her. 
And then he like finds her hours and hours later in their cabin dressed in some kind of 19th century lingerie and she's like happy now and not mad like was it the ship doing something magical where like this is why it's such a special ship because it helps people realize what they really what's really important in life or was Minnie like setting this up like here I'll hide you and then you can I'll give you this dress and everything will be good like it doesn't really explain it what happened nor does it explain really what where they're going like they can't come with because they're are they dying are they just gonna sink are they going off into the sunset to sink and die with the ship did, did the ship even exist are they going to heaven are they like gandalf and frodo going off to the silver stores of the undying lands like what's going on here uh this is very confusing um and then, like, even in the beginning, like, it was all, like, these whimsical, the whimsical Twilight Zone music when they're at the the uh, travel agent. But it's kind of a darker episode. This episode doesn't know what it is, I don't think. Uh, I will enjoy it um, because of the actors and actresses in it. And, again, some of the dialogue is great. And I, I'll enjoy it during a marathon, but I don't think I'll ever go out of my way um, to, to watch the, uh, Twilight Zone love boat again, I don't think, um, keep doing what you're doing, Tom, take as long as you want, I'm loving, loving all, all of it, and, uh, have a good one. If you want to get your thoughts onto the show about any of the episodes we've covered so far in Season 4 of The Twilight Zone or the next episode of The Twilight Zone, then send your feedback in clip form of about five minutes or less to tom at thetwilightzonepodcast.com.